Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you from Hickory Ridge Community Church. Thanking you so much for listening to the broadcast today. We are excited about what God is doing, and I hope that uh, you are seeing the results of God working in your life through your church, through your life personally, and through your family. Well, many years ago, I did a sermon series called 10 Things Satan Hopes That You Never Learn. Well, I wanted to look at just one of those things today. And one of the things that Satan hopes that you never learn is the power of being successfully tested in your faith. Now, faith is like a muscle, right? And the more that is worked, the more successfully it is worked, the more powerful that and the stronger that faith becomes. You begin with what is called saving faith. Uh, that is a childlike faith. That is the faith of a, of a child. And uh, it's kind of like a mustard seed, right? Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to that mountain, go into the sea and it'll be done. So it's, it begins with a little faith. It begins with childlike faith. But then that faith begins to grow. And as a result of that faith growing, God can use you more. And the enemy is more afraid of you. So Satan hopes that you never learn the power of successfully having your faith tested. So let's talk about the beginning of faith, and then we're going to look at the test that will come against our faith. The beginning of faith is found in John chapter 4. The first step is what I would call that searching phase, uh, where you have that small faith, but it's really a determined faith. Uh, This is where we're, we're getting connected emotionally. God often connects with us emotionally before he touches our intellect and before he touches our will. Now, we know this is true from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 46. Now, you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, but Jesus is visiting Canaan of Galilee. And this is the place where he turned the water into wine. Remember, the first miracle that Jesus performed on his earthly ministry was at a wedding. Uh, They ran out of wine, and so Jesus turns water into wine. But there at that wedding feast, there was a certain royal official, and his son laid sick. His son was in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So here we have this guy that has a son that is close to death and he begs Jesus to heal his son. Now notice there's this this emotional connection and this man is broken. Now this man is in distress because his son is about to die. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he heard about Jesus turning water into wine. And he goes to this place and he meets Jesus and he begs of Jesus that he would heal his son. And so this is the searching phase. This guy is looking for answers for a son that is about to die. Uh, The second phase I would call the trusting phase. So the first phase, the searching phase, where it's small but it's determined. The trusting faith is calm but devoted. This is the phase of acceptance. This is where intellectually you're saying, okay, my emotions have led me to find this answer. Now my mind has got to be convinced that it'll work. Going back to John 4, verses 48 and 49. Jesus said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, Come down before my child dies. He has this intellectual belief that he doesn't have to see signs and wonders. That's not what's driving him. He is convinced that Jesus can heal his son. 
You think about convincing. We recently had a missionary in our church that we've been supporting for many years, great missionaries to the Dominican Republic. A family member of this missionary many years ago was brought to a saving knowledge of Christ through Hickory Ridge Community Church. This man has gone on to be with the Lord, but this man, his name was Richard. Now, Richard was an honorary person, spent a lot of time here in the Hampton Roads area. He was actually born up in New England and, and came down to the Hampton Roads area as he was enlisted in the Navy and spent many years here uh, in this area, retired from the Navy, uh, worked uh, in this community for, for many years, but he was just as honorary as could be. I mean, you think about an a, a honorary old person, this guy Richard would fit that description. Well, Richard had a cousin who was born again. Richard's cousin said, now, Richard, you need to go to church, and you need to go to church for eight Sundays in a row. Don't miss a Sunday. Go to church for eight Sundays in a row. And Richard, if you go to church for eight Sundays in a row, I'll never bother you again. Just go to church. Listen to what the pastor has to say. Don't critique the message. Uh, don't, uh, don't turn a deaf ear to it. Uh, don't ignore it. Uh, don't be preoccupied. Actually listen intently to what he has to say. Well, Richard Church came to Hickory Ridge Community Church. And he heard the message. Week number four, I went to visit Richard Church. I sat down with Richard Church, and he said, my life is a mess. I have managed to alienate all of my family, and I pretty much managed to have everybody who knows me to become extremely ticked off with me. Richard Church was searching. He was at the point where he had heard the gospel. And I remember after sharing the gospel with him, he throws his hands up in the air and he says, I know, I know, but what do I need to do? This is where we see conversion take place. This man said, sir, would you come down before my child dies? And, and Richard says, I know what I, I hear the gospel. What do I need to do? You need to call upon the name of the Lord. The saving phase is the last phase of that beginning of our faith. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word. So conversion. Conversion then is a repentance. It is a turning from sin and unbelief. It involves faith that is trusting Christ alone for salvation. You know, there are really two sides of the same coin. One side is tails. Turn tail on the fruits of unbelief. The other side is heads. Head straight for Jesus and trust his promises. You don't have one without the other any more than you can have a face that is facing in two different ways. We cannot serve two masters. You see, one of the greatest problems that God has with his children is developing our faith. We talked about the beginning of that faith, that searching phase, that trusting phase, and then that saving phase, but that is not the end of our faith. That is the beginning of our journey of faith. And one of the difficulties that many face is they receive this free gift of salvation, but then their faith seems to, to stop. You know, the trees that are slow to grow are trees that are going to bear the best fruit. The trees that are not growing at all will never bear fruit. Now, the hardest thing about living the Christian life is that it's so daily. It's a daily occurrence. In Romans 12, 13, it reminds us that we, through the grace given us, 
Every one of you should not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, but to think with sound judgment, as God has allotted to each and every one of us a measure of faith. So faith is living. Faith is is not stagnant. It is moving. It is always growing. Martin Luther said this, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and so certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. We are commanded to grow in our faith. Dwight Moody said, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. Well, how does God grow our faith? He does it through a series of tests. How does our faith grow? It grows by testing of our faith. Test number one, I'm going to call it the praise test. That is the glory faith uh, of our faith. You see, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Romans 4.20 Yet with respect to the promise of God, He, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, when he was going through a tough time, he got tough because of his faith. He didn't waver. He was not weak in the faith. Faith in God is the ability to go through tough times. But how do we know we can survive tough times? We go through tough times. And who do we praise when we go through those tough times? Psalm 70, verse number four says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. As you're going through difficult times, who gets the glory? Some men become so proud and so arrogant because they ride a fine horse, wear a feather in their hat, or are dressed with a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the foolishness of this? If there be any glory in such things, the glory belongs to the horse, the bird who gave the feather, and the tailor who made the suit, said St. Francis. So many times we do the same thing. If God has blessed you with the ability to do something fine and to accomplish great things, Who gets the glory for that? Don't bring glory to yourself. The development of our faith is contingent upon who gets the praise. The glory. As the glory goes up, the grace comes down. You cannot have God's grace without giving Him glory. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we are reminded that whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. In the parts of my life where God is not glorified, I miss His grace. So test number one is the praise test or the glory test. Test number two is the patience test. I call this the test of consistency. Isaiah 28, 16 reminds us that the scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation. 
The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Now, there's a principle called the 80-20 principle. The 80-20 principle often is how God supplies to us in our times of need. The 80-20% principle is basically that God gives us 80% of what we need to live in our lives, and 20% we are lacking. And it amazes me to see how people will come and they'll complain and they'll be worried about this error in their lives that, that God is not providing for them. The enemy is well aware of these areas that you are lacking in, and so he will try to drive you toward impatience. I believe that this 20% that God leads us lacking is, is to teach us patience. You know, after the excitement begins to fade and, and after you get along in life, you realize that God does take care of all of your needs, but he does it in his timing. I think about the Israelites. For 400 years, they were oppressed by the Egyptians. For 400 years, they were tired of God leading them in bondage. And finally, God opens up the door and they get out. They are given their freedom. Even though they removed themselves from that old life when God opened up their door uh, for them to be free, there was still this relationship with that old nature. Maybe you got a new wife, but you're still angry. You thought, man, if I get married, my anger issues would go away. As long as you have anger, you're still oppressed. You get out of that old issue. You may think, well, I'm set free. I'm not a slave any longer, but you still are struggling. As you look at what happened with the nation of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They were set free from Egypt. Their bodies came out, but their minds didn't come out with them. They were still thinking about that old life when they were in bondage. They were thinking about onions and leeks and pickles and All of a sudden, the enemy had given them what I would call selective amnesia. They remembered the leeks and the pickles, but they forgot what it was like to be in bondage. You have forgotten 80% of what God has given you. Now you are consumed with the 20% of what you haven't received. You know, nothing in life is 100%. It's not going to ever be 100% of what you want. Not your spouse, not your job, not your kids. Not the government, not your church. All of these entities will be lacking to some degree. They may be able to provide 80% of what you need, but they can't give you that 100%. So stop looking at that 20% that you're missing and focus on the 80% that you have received. You know, you'd be surprised to learn how many people will leave a good job because it doesn't provide for 20% of what they think they need. You'd be surprised at how many people will leave a good spouse because that spouse doesn't provide that small 20% of what they think they need. When you think about it, how many people walked away from good things thinking I'm missing out on 20% and they wake up to discover they are missing the blessing of God's blessing upon their lives. So the next time somebody runs up to you and they start complaining about two or three things that they didn't get, Remind them of this 80-20 rule. Never expect anybody to completely fill your life. Only God can do that. I may not be 100%, but I'll give you the best 80% you'll ever get. 80% looks real good to you. When you move over to that 20%, the devil will make you feel like you're a zero. 
Listen, God wants to fill you completely. God wants to allow you to experience that fullness that is found only in him. So don't go back to being a slave for pickles and onions. What would your life be like if you understood and left the elemental teachings about Christ and you pressed on to maturity? Matthew Henry said this, Those who pin their faith on another man's sleeve and walk in the way of the world have turned away from following after Christ. Realize no wife, no husband, no pastor, no job, no experience can fulfill the void in your life. Only Christ can do that for you. You cannot have great faith without great patience. Wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, test number one was the praise test. Who gets the glory for the success in your life? Test number two is patience. How do you respond when you don't get everything that you think that you deserve? Test number three that develops our faith is what I would call the pressure test. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Charles Spurgeon says, a man is known by the company that he shuns as well as the company that he keeps. When pressure comes into our lives, pressure reveals the areas that we are weak in our faith. James 1, 3 says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here there are two ways of handling pressure. One is illustrated by the bathysphere. A bathysphere is a miniature submarine that is used to explore the oceans in the places so deep that the water pressure would crush a conventional submarine and would crush that submarine like an aluminum can. Bathyspheres compensate with thick steel plates that are inches thick. When the water pressure comes against it, that heavy And that hard steel can withstand that pressure. You see, inside, they're not alone. As they go down in that bathysphere, they discover, as they turn the lights on, that deep down where they thought no fish could live, they see these fine fish that are living. The one way that you can handle pressure in your life is that the exterior is able to have enough resistance to that pressure. A second way is to compensate. When they saw these fish that were down in the depths of the sea, they saw the fish could cope with extreme pressure, and they do it in an entirely different way. They don't build super thick skin, because if they did, they could not have that ability to move around freely. They actually compensate for the outside pressure by having equal and opposite pressure inside of them. You know, Christians, we do the same thing, or we should do the same thing. We don't want to be hard and thick-skinned. We want to be able to have the power of God within us so that when the pressure comes on the outside of us, we don't cave. What have we learned so far today? That God develops our patience and develops our faith by giving us a test. How do we handle praise? How do we handle patience? How do we handle pressure in our lives? And then number four is what I would call the peace test. I saw a funny little thing that could be used as a dad joke. It said, my therapist told me 
The way to achieve true inner peace is to finish what I start. So far today, I have finished two bags of chips and a chocolate cake. (laughs) Now you think about that. How many of us, when peace goes out the window, we compensate by doing something destructive? I eat under pressure. Or I take drugs or alcohol under pressure. Well, how do you respond when God gives you peace in your lives? In Romans 15 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound, that is, you may overflow in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 4 8 says, I will lay down in peace and I will sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. And then in John chapter 14, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Well, I want you to know something about peace. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. We are told in Philippians 4 that we shouldn't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is, in Christ Jesus, we have peace. But so many times we wrongly think, if I could just have my circumstances at peace, my surroundings calm, I could be a person that enjoys peace. Oh, peace is only found in the person of Christ. In his book, Sermon on the Mount, A Foundation for Understanding, author and professor Robert Gulich writes of the role Christ followers play in peacemaking. The old peace that we so long for, that peace intended, is not merely that of political or that of economic stability, as in the Greco-Roman world, but peace in the Old Testament is inclusive. It's a sense of wholeness, all that constitutes well-being. The peacemakers, therefore, are simply not those who bring peace between two conflicting parties, but those who actively work at making peace, bringing about wholeness and well-being among the alienated. You know, there is a peace that passes all understanding. As your faith develops, you realize that God is in control. He is working things out for His honor, for His glory, for his good. And when I realize that he is in control, I can experience his peace that passes all understanding. You know, I went through a time where I kind of had lost my peace. And it was all because of the circumstances that were surrounding me. I got my eyes off Christ and I got looking at my circumstances. I began to be overwhelmed thinking about all that I had facing before me. Realizing that I felt so inadequate, so unable to meet the demands and cares of all those who are depending upon me. I spent some time just getting into God's Word. And as a result of being in God's Word, I experienced that peace that transcends all understanding. I began looking at the 23rd Psalm, where David reminds us, The Lord is my shepherd. As I was thinking about that little phrase, It is the Lord that is my shepherd. I am his under-shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. He is guiding my life. Because he is guiding my life, I have nothing to fear. 
The good shepherd will lead me in the right path. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The reason I don't need to want is because God is supplying for all of my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Oh, my friend, are you following the Lord today? As you follow the Lord, He leads you in that path of righteousness for His namesake. And then David reminds us, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff comforts me. Don't you love the fact that God is leading us? And that rod is to to bring us comfort, but that rod also brings that discipline that we so need. The psalmist reminds us that God is preparing a place for us in the presence of our enemies. One day, our enemies will look at us and they'll see that we are in the presence of the Lord. We'll have the comfort to know that He has guided us every step of the way. Jesus promised to give us peace. He says, the peace that I give you is not the peace that the world offers. It is a peace that transcends all understanding. Oh, my friend, are you lacking peace today? Put your confidence in Christ. In Christ alone we stand. In Christ alone we have that peace that transcends all understanding. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. I pray that you experience the love of Christ, the peace of Christ, and the joy of Christ. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.